Howdy, folks. Before we start this session of Bebop Tabletop, we just want to say thanks to all our listeners, Twitter followers, and everyone who supported us along the journey. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. It would help us out more than a sack full of oolongs. Now, hit it. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Michael Janoff. I'm Lee Jo John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Hello, black dogs. I hope you're ready for another episode of Bebop Tabletop. My name is Andrew, and I'm just wandering around with some weirdos, Michael and Lee Jo. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you. T- time time never stands still, even though I uh, was I was in a temporal time void last week. As now punishment, of course. Oh, no. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I must have lost that memory when I was in the void. <laughs> uh, this week, we are talking about Session 10, Ganymede Elegy. We are looking at Jet's background this time, and we are ready to learn, I guess, about... This is our first trip to Ganymede? We've never we've mentioned it a couple times, but we've never seen it before. Yeah, I got I got it's a it's a beautiful place. I mean, from a overhead shots they give of these arcologies, I kind of want to call them in the ocean. Very similar uh, from Venus, in that we had you know the aerostats in one, and beautiful scenery, very well done, and now they're just floating. Same same idea. But then we, we start to dive down into the city and into the arcologies themselves. You get a you very quickly get a sense of the down, downtrodden nature of the arcologies and w- without even saying it right in your face, uh, you, you kind of get this sense and you know, and later they confirm it and saying, Yeah, the boats just aren't coming in anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, they they did a very good job of of, of selling the setting in this one. Oh, and uh, not that it's particularly super important, but we did technically see Ganymede a few episodes ago because that's where Sea Rat is from. Oh, mm-hmm. we were yeah. orbital for that one. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and through the cool. astral gate, that was by it. I, I have to imagine that by now the Ganymede Sea Rat has gone extinct because huh. Mother's not here to protect them. Ooh. So, R.I.P. Sea Rats. Are we ready for a summary? Let's hit it. A successful bounty leads the crew to Ganymede, Jet's home satellite. While Faye and Ed lounge by the sea, Jet meets his ex-girlfriend Alyssa at her bar, hoping to gain some closure. Spike learns that Rint, Alyssa's new boyfriend, has a 1.8 million Wulong bounty and goes after him because this is business. Spike fills Jet in, and Jet, nicknamed the Black Dog, takes care of it on his own. Alyssa defends Rint as Jet approaches and explains that she left him because she wanted to make her own decisions. In the end, Jet captures Rint, telling Alyssa that he will probably be released on self-defense. Jet walks away, deciding to let go of the past since time never stands still. Yeah, this week we are looking at a character study. The last couple episodes we have been discussing a lot of encounter mechanics, a lot of building up how these action scenes work. And this week, we really only have one major action scene and instead have a deeper dive into Jet's background, into his, his motivations, why he's the way he is. We talked a little bit earlier about how 
you know, we, we were wondering what kind of game mechanics we pull out of this. I think one, one of the things I'd like to say about our project here is that we are trying to get the mood of Cowboy Bebop into our game. And that should be inclusive, right? Uh, one of the reasons we're going through episode by episode of the anime is that each episode can present a very different face of what Cowboy Bebop is. And our system should be able to handle, at, at the very least, uh, the 26 different possible stories that Cowboy Bebop presents to us and a movie and 10 Netflix episodes, right? Uh, <laughs> we'll, see how, we'll see about that when we get to there. But, but we should be able to handle the sometimes incredibly uh, different and diverse types of stories and feelings of stories that, that these episodes have. Uh, this one, I think all of us noted that there, there was a scene here with some very art house French Nouveau cutting between in the editing. And I don't know how, what do you guys think? How are we going to get that effect into our gameplay? I think naturally uh, our TTRPGs have that whiplash because it's usually uh, <laughs> it's just inherently the whiplash between fart fart jokes and, you know, hardcore RP. Like you're going to, you absolutely will get that sort of whiplash uh, from game to game. And sometimes that's hilarious and sometimes it's a little weird. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, that that scene at La Fin with, uh, with Alyssa and Jet was a bizarre art choice. But everything else was actually very was very pretty. So I'll I'll take the the weird scene uh, for the rest of it. I, I think we can we can uh, mechanify art house mode. Uh, you roll a d4 and that's how many seconds you get to talk. <laughs> and if you roll a four, you get to roll again, and you get exploding dice to, uh, you know, speak more. If that's if that's how it goes, <laughs> exploding oh. scenes, yeah, exploding dialogue. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> All right, everyone, roll for your scene time initiative. <laughs> Man, I would have really liked for you to have something to say in that conversation. I mean, it was all about your backstory. Yeah, I just kept rolling ones. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, so while we were talking about some of the the backgrounds of characters, uh, Michael had postulated or at least proposed, you know, possibly a pillar system for basically the backgrounds of our characters. We're still, you know, kind of putzing it around a little bit, but generally, from my opinion, pretty much every character in B Cowboy Bebop has a tragic past. Or really, there is at least one scenario how this world has screwed them over, basically. <laughs> Whether it's uh, betrayal, or uh, in Jet's case, he was too gung-ho about the job, or you know, eventually time travel and some other things. Uh, well, cryostasis. But regardless, the world is not fair, and it does take a toll. Cowboy Bebop is really about how do you move on from that? How do you carry that weight, if you would? So, I'm, you know, again, I think that inherently when you're creating a character, you have to consider your past. You have to consider why you're doing what you're doing. And now we're talking about how do you move forward? Uh, and I think that is probably one of the cores to creating a character in this world. Yeah, I agree. And that's nice to see how different that is from like a Dungeons and Dragons system, right? Where Dungeons and Dragons represents the hero's journey of I come from nothing 
I'm building my skills up and eventually I will, you know, question, 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 kill God, right? Like that's <laughs> that's the, the traditional arc. Uh, this is a very different kind of system, right? We are living with the problems that were not our fault, right? Yeah, yeah that, that's, I, I don't think I've played a game like this before. Where trauma yeah. informs your future? Yeah. I, I do, I do like, I do like these, you know, these, these three pillars in in particular. I think from a, from a, from a role player perspective, and from a player engagement perspective, I think are mm-hmm. very important to have. Punchy, very punchy, but short, and very um, uh, ways to move your individual character story forward in a way that everyone on the table can digest and participate in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we talked about the uh, off air. We we kind of talked about the concept that you know if it's a table of six people. Um, you know, if if it if the event or the backstory event doesn't happen on the table, then it might as well not happen for most of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of having these elements be established when the character is being created um, lets everyone guide what the specifics are. So you know, we um, yeah, maybe maybe I'll I'll be uh little vague here and say you know something like what's in your past Um, it doesn't have to be this specific character wronged me it can be Mm -hmm. uh, be, because of character flaw that maybe we can pull out um, uh, something tragic happened or someone left me you know we can leave it vague to be able to be filled in um, as interesting characters are presented or you can sometimes be specific if you want and say something bad happened on Ganymede and I had to leave. Mm-hmm. That gives a drive to have uh, effectively what this is, is a story session for a specific character. Mm-hmm. Spike gets involved in it. The other characters kind of do their own thing. But um, there is there is an amount of party engagement that can happen with this. Right. I, one of the interesting things that happens this week is how it comes into conflict. Uh, Spike's line of uh, this is business, right? Sorry, this is business is kind of cold, right? He, when he gets the call from Donnelly of, hey, there's a, and all of this is very, like, actually, this whole thing is handled very nicely for Jet, sensitively for Jet, right? Donnelly, his friend at the police station, says, hey, there's this bounty coming down and it relates to your ex. So I'm going to let you guys know first because it's a courtesy. Right. Uh, Spike then is kind of forced into having that question of like, well, how much is it worth? Because if it's a high number, I'm still going to go after it. Uh, But then once Jet's there, Spike lets him know because, yeah, this is personal for you. So I'm going to let you handle it. Uh, These things come into conflict just because... I'm sure Jet would rather not have to deal with this at all, right? He was happy, right? Once he was done at the bar with Alyssa that first time, he's like, okay, I guess that's fine. Let, I'm going to go home now. I'm going to go back to my, my crew of weirdos. So I, I, very briefly, I want to touch on, on, on that because we, off, off air, we, we chatted about whether it's worthwhile to have character conflict be a mechanic. 
which is to say uh, the interests of the party differ with the interest of the individual. And if you want, maybe you could have, you know, something go on where we have motivation trackers on one end and, you know, for the party and one for the character. But uh, I, I think we kind of landed on that being a little bit, little bit overreaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, these sort of conflicts are maybe best suited uh, in role play rather than mechanics. Still very interesting, but you know we don't need to put a box around it. Right. It, it could be one of those things that we can try to encourage through the text of the rules, right? But without specifically saying, "Hey, do these things for points." Right. That that feels weird. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it's for one character to get resolution about their character, or for one player to get <laughs> resolution about their character. They're like, oh well, I didn't get character resolution because everyone else rolled better. Uh, math rocks than me. <laughs> I didn't get that party XP bonus. Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> I mean, I do also think that if you are, at the very least, a respectful player, if not, you know, playing with your friends, you want them to have these story beats. You want them to, yeah. you want them to experience being the star. And being the star is not always a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but in this situation, Faye and Ed could have gotten involved. And they didn't because, you know, it wasn't their story mm-hmm. if we were to, if they were a role playing party. But that being said, obviously, yes, you don't want to have somebody with a, like a main character syndrome. You know, that is also not fun. Maybe maybe we can transition into uh, trying to pull out what kinds of uh, I'll say Mad Libs. I'll say what kind of <laughs> Mad Libs we can associate to each of these of these three pillars that we that we talked about. For for Jet, we're saying. Um, yeah, we, I think we could start with Jet. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think we could start with Jet. Um, I, I was thinking in session four um, in our mm-hmm. discussion, um, we we had last last we talked about backgrounds. Um, we had we had the the four tags that we gave to Jet were uh, he's the space police ISSP, um, and then and then left. So I guess three. So ISSP and left the police. So that's mm-hmm. effectively what's in your past why you're doing what you're doing i think we can talk about but the the, the some of the notes i had are uh, oh well he's a he's a techie he does a lot of tech stuff mm-hmm. um is that a why mm, not sure it's kind of an archetype but um and ha- and how do you move forward um the other piece i have the two items that i have for what's in your past are, are kind of different one is issp and one is uh I think we we called it burned for uh, being into the job too much. Mm-hmm. So maybe, and you know, we don't have to do it this way, but maybe there's maybe there's uh, two coins each of these pillars or two sides each of these pillars. Like, what's in your path? What did you do? Like, oh well, I was mm-hmm. Jet was that Jet was a police officer. That that's just that that was his that was his profession prior to being a a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Because effectively, all all the players are possibly bounty hunters but doesn't necessarily have to be the case right um so, something that's an else. interesting point for later yeah, yeah. <laughs> like our when we talk about i think we've talked about it a little bit this idea that hey you might just be space truckers they're all space truckers right <laughs> but generally i think most of the players will be bounty hunters yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so so okay so what were you doing space police what about 
is there that, that that's what you were doing why aren't you that anymore i think mm-hmm. is i think is kind of the other coin of that um, and maybe the reason he's uh, from from I, I can maybe guess maybe the reason he's not doing it anymore is because of um when when Alyssa left him and he you know rethought his life and became a bounty hunter so that's <laughs> the, what was he doing and why he leave could you say why is that why you're doing what you're doing possibly to some degree right like yeah that's interesting as yeah if if we end up with everybody being a bounty hunter uh it it does almost end up like yeah one of these pillars has to be well why are you here now yeah what brought you here right it's interesting with like edward where what brought ed here is they wanted to be here <laughs> right like i think that's an that's an interesting how are you here now right what what brought you here um uh, Spike, yeah, I guess Spike. Spike has a similar problem where, well, it it almost feels like most of these characters are bounty hunting because they must. They all owe money. They all owe debts. They all have nowhere else to be, so they hunt bounties. I was going to say, Faye does not seem to want to be a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. She wants yeah. money, and she wants the comfort of money. And it seems honestly, she sticks with the you know the bebop crew because, for the most part, they're decent people, and they're not going to betray her anytime soon, even despite their threats. <laughs> so, her goal, I would say that really what she's what she's doing to progress past her memory loss and all that other stuff that we'll get we'll get to in a in a few episodes is just. She's just trying to make money. She's trying to live kind of a semi-hedonistic life, right? And the easiest Hmm. way is collecting some bounties, or at least the most consistent way. I'm trying to think of what other... What are the other options, right? So if you're a jet, you leave the police force. I think think jets is the one that probably makes the most sense for becoming a bounty hunter, where he already has those skills. You know, he's, he's the black dog, right? He... He never lets go once he has the bite, right? Like, like that's that is bounty hunting. Essentially, it's just now he's no longer in uniform, so that's his skill set. That's what he's good at. So when he leaves the police, well, I'm gonna buy a fishing ship and do that. Keep doing that. It's what I'm. It's what I'm good at. Uh, Spike leaving the syndicate, right? Uh, dying essentially, right? Being on the run. Uh, his skill set still applies, but it is different still, right? It's not exactly, I, I think, and I'm, I'm now crossing a little bit how the new Netflix series versus the anime. In the Netflix series, a lot of the characters comment on like, well, that's ridiculous for you. This feels low for you, right? And there's a little bit of an undercurrent of that here where everybody says, oh, you're a cowboy. Oh, you're a bounty hunter. You're, you're scum, right? And I think... Spike feels that the most of these characters that he's he's stepped down into being a bounty hunter. Uh, yeah, Faye again is looking for money and just trying to live. Right, Ed is just looking for adventure. Right, they're they're a kid looking for adventure. So this is their way in. What other choices did any of them have? Right. What could any of them have done instead of becoming bounty hunters? Why did they choose bounty hunting instead? So 
Maybe uh, if if it's all right, we can focus on maybe the the, the kind of what's in your past for for a moment here mm. and talk about that pillar. Um, because you know if we're if what we're doing here is building a character and building out a character backstory, I think we've we have listed uh, skills and proficiencies essentially. Mm-hmm. Several systems have the idea of uh, packages, so your your mm-hmm. background is packaged with um, some some skill. Um, mm. And th- these systems have have trade-offs, which we can briefly discuss later, perhaps. But you know, we've talked about a character stat sheet looking like uh, you know different uh, increasing amounts of dice, so d4, six, eight, ten, so on. So, as a proposal, we could have a list of generic enough backgrounds of of what's in your past. Um, Syndicate, ISSP, Grifter, slash con honors, you know, things like that. Mm. And there is the mechanical version of it, where this is your background, and as a ISSP, you have, um, you get an extra, uh, maybe you have a list, so you get, uh, you're you're better at techie and investigation, making mm. up words. Um, and so, okay, so now you have that proficiency point. Now mm. your uh, D4, which is the baseline stat, turns into a D6. Okay, yep. And let's say there's, you know, in a second pillar, there's a second set of packages. And let's mm. say that shows up again, then that becomes, you know, a D8. It moves up. Um, th- th- this, yeah, well, th- th- that that's one proposal. The mm. other version of that is we have it completely divorced <laughs> from, sure, you know, mechanics. Yeah. Um, or even, hey, just like choose from this list. Um, right. Yeah. Our our choose your own adventure, build your character model might be. So uh, we could kind of split the difference there, right? Where, yes, this is how most characters, like we, we could propose a bunch of archetypes that are, yeah, you know, if you're ISSP, you've got, again, we don't have a list of skills yet, but like, yeah, you've you've got. Bounty hunting, <laughs> that's, that's too generic of a skill, but, but you've got <laughs> tracking, right? You've got contacts, guns. right? Those, those are things. Yeah, guns, yeah. right? Like, you, if you pick the ISSP background, these are the recommended things that you would have proficiencies in, right? In, in our character builder, I suppose that would be stricter, right? Like, yeah, you picked ISSP, so you've got guns. Right? It just comes with. But whenever you're custom remixing a class, right, or not class, but like when you're custom remixing a character, you could kind of do whatever you want and you can explain it in story or explain it in like, oh, yeah, I joined the police force, but I was entirely desk jockey. Right? So I have no gun skills, but I have lots of, you know, techie skills instead, things like that. Yeah, and, and you can certainly as well propose alternate and optional rules. So you can certainly say, or we can certainly say that um, as the default, you say, okay, if you if you choose this background, what you know, the, the what's in your past, ISSP, this is this is the package you get. Mm-hmm. But we have an optional rule to say, okay, if you like, if that doesn't fit, you can swap something out. But I think it's important to have some base level guidance. Yeah. Um, yep. Because the kind of the do whatever. It you know you you can you can certainly do it. There are plenty of systems that do it, but there there does come with a lot of. Uh... Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that is 
as beginner friendly to have it too open. No, it is right? not. It is much easier to have a prescription with the understanding, you know, as long as you imply the understanding that, hey, these are just recommendations. If you want, you can change it. But here's what we recommend. And I think that would be the, for the best in terms of you're not you're not forcing them to do what you say, but perhaps you could, you know, in the listing for ISSP officer, you could say, well, generally they're trained in guns. They're generally, they're tr- they have, you know, baseline tech ability. And generally their contacts are former moles or other ISSP officers. They tend to have an advantage with when conversing with these people. And then if they, if you don't want to do any of that, fine. But it, you know, just this is our, this is our recommendation and we're not going to be heavy handed, but you know, maybe, maybe you should follow the rules sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll add to that too. One, one, one way you could make it feel more unique because, you know, having like the, like, this is the package kind of can get a little bit samey. One thing that mm-hmm. you could do is you say, okay, he, here is the recommended package. You have a baseline, I'll just call it a plus one. When you go mm-hmm. from four to six, you have a plus one in this list. You can choose one of those to be plus two to say, this is what I specialized in. You know, furthermore, you can kind of, you can, you can go outside and you can maybe even in the baseline rules say, you know, ignoring the, the optional, do whatever you want. But in the baseline rules, say, okay, if you if you want to swap out this with something else, you could do that once or mm-hmm. twice. Um, sure. So maybe there's a standard set of five, but you be like, mm, I think I'm going to be in the, the InfoSec version of ISSP. Mm-hmm. And so instead <laughs> of guns, you do hacking, right? Yeah. The net diver division, yeah. And that way, so what that does is, and I, I don't know exactly what will make sense, but what that does is you say, okay, at a baseline, your character has this pool to choose from of points. And effectively, you know, if you use the optional rules, you can put it wherever you want. But at a baseline, every you're going to get five distributed Five and then the plus two, so six distributed somewhere. Yeah, and then that way, when you're designing encounters, you can know roughly, you'll know that somebody's not like a superhuman at everything, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you'll know that all the characters have some strengths and some flaws, right? Some things that they are just not good at. Uh, Potentially, depending how many skills we have, there may be sections where the party doubles up. And sections where, like, oh, nobody covers nobody covers Mars Brewing again, right? Like, it's a problem sometimes. <laughs> that should provide for interesting games, right? Like, knowing as the the game master that, oh yeah, my party's bad at this, so maybe throw them some of this mm-hmm. <laughs> because it'll be interesting, right? So on the on the what are you no good at option? So mm. we've talked in this episode and previous episodes about D four just being the baseline. Mm-hmm. Like everyone could kind of do everything to some degree. If if that's the baseline, what is being actively bad at something? <laughs> and I think we've we've talked about this. It's a D two. It's a coin flip. So right. we we talked earlier about the you know there each character has a bad thing. Mm. Um, you know what, what? How did the world burn you and so on? And so yeah. maybe, and maybe this is starting to transition into the next version of it, is 
and you know start start actively choosing what your character flaws are like in this case too like your flaw well so we've talked before about bottoming out and how that may create new flaws for you right i, I lose an arm i lose an eye right these create different problems uh, I'm hungry all the time, right? Things, things like that, right? Problems and opportunities. I guess we, we've talked a little bit about how how do we make bottoming out fun is interesting. Um, I think bottoming out should make your characters more interesting. I think that is that should be a core kind of uh, theme of this game, right? That that bad things. And, you know, that that ties in really well, and we hadn't thought of it this way before but yeah bad things happen to your character and that makes you who you are uh this is turning into a trauma game which is uh we're, we'll keep it light <laughs> spun a different way it's how it, it's not what with bad things it's how did you move forward from it right yes it's, it's how do you climb back up yes right and i uh, i will propose and i think we talked about this briefly so we have these core skills it's like i am mm-hmm. infosec but there, there is the idea, too, of being able to do something in particular very well. And it's very specific. So, you know, maybe, you know, h- how do we make, you know, bottoming out? How do we make characters more interesting? Mm. Um, maybe part of that process, and this could tie into our, our second and third pillar here, is, okay, each skill has a fill-in. So that is the truly freeform one that you can you can you could fill in and so you know uh let's let's propose that infosec isn't or let's propose that uh knowledge of beverages is (laughs) because we just (laughs) talked about that is is a skill and it's a skill that you're d4 in because you had a plus one from being a bartender in the past or whatever sure yeah and one thing led to another and the character bottomed out or left their profession or one way or another and in the process, somehow they became particularly good at identifying Martian beers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's the fill-in. That's the fill-in. When that comes up, instead of that D6, that's baseline, it becomes a D8. Yeah, that's fun. Like, that, that's, your, that's your reward for, for bottoming out. Yeah, a very specific skill. <laughs> would, you be in, would you be on board with possibly tweaking that, where if you are willing to take an additional... A flaw, if you would, could you bump up a skill to like an expertise level? I'm just thinking in terms of uh, Radical Edward, probably awful at hand-to-hand fighting, probably awful at guns. But when it comes to hacking and comes to tech stuff, unparalleled, right? Right. So where maybe instead of rolling just a d6, she rolls a a d8 from the get-go because they're that good for those skills. Mm-hmm. Then anything that she's flawed with, they 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 roll that that coin, right? Or they flip that coin. <laughs> the the downside, however, is you know someone inherently will pick a bunch of flaws, and so that they'll roll they'll be rolling d twenties in seduction or something, and become the <laughs> the uber bard. Yeah, I, I think what what some systems do do very well is they put caps on what you're able to actually do in character creation, and and there th- there is a reason for that. It, like you say, it, it becomes very, very strange whenever when everyone's starting out and one character can just do something perfectly all the time for no uh, obvious reason to the table. Right. And on the other hand, being so abysmally bad at something, that's not clear why that's the case. If it happens at the table, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, th- I think that's what I like about this this system is that it responds to the things that occur right more directly. Yeah. You know, we we know why you're really good at identifying Martian beers because we saw that week where that's you ran out of money and you had nothing to eat but the yeast on Mars. So <laughs> you can taste the finite difference between each brand, right? Yeah. And I think it is I think it is to Lijo's point too. I think it is sensible to have that to be able to come up with some mm-hmm. amount of malice is the word that comes to mind, but some amount of D, D2s um, during mm-hmm. character creation. You know, if if uh, it's what's in your past, what are you doing, and how do you move forward, you know, we've had that, in a sense, bottoming out. At least each character has had that at least once. Yeah, maybe that's what we do. Maybe that is the... Our, our version of leveling up is bottoming out. Where, <laughs> uh, which, it sounds very negative, <laughs> uh, but that is your first. Your first bottom out happened in the past, right? And that bottom out is bumping one of your skills down to take a very specific trait, and you do that once on your original character sheet, and then you will do that more as you play. Yeah, that that might add some interesting variation right away. I think inevitably players will want to find out how to fix those. True, yeah. Um, and some of them are... Now there actually are a couple of systems that work this way, and I think it I think it has teeth. The piece that makes me a little wary is, you know, what what is the... Do, is there an optimal build pitfall here? What happens when we min-max? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I think enabling players to min-max if they want to some degree is not inherently bad, mm-hmm. um, especially if it happens during play. I think there needs to be limits during character creation to avoid that. Sure. Yep. For for example, in the fifth edition of the world's favorite role-playing game, um, <laughs> it, depending on there, there are several ways to assign points to your characters. It's not one. There's like three at least in the core core rulebook. But in the in the array system, you have a fixed amount. Um, you know, you get a number that's not too low, but low, and you get a number that's not too high, but high. And what you don't do is the point buy system, where you can dunk something way down so you can spike something way up. And it just kind of makes these samey, samey characters with not a lot of anything in between. I think most of the time it just ends up being, might as well just take standard array. Like, it's, it's like, you know, yeah, like we will end up with roughly the same kind of characters no matter which version of this we do. Because uh, even the role stats, right, have a have a limit, <laughs> right? They They still let you only go up. I think it's a little more variation, right? But but it's just not a whole lot more variation than either standard array or point by. Mm. So let me let me let me back up a little bit back to uh, why you're doing what you're doing because we're we're kind of talking about this as as completely bottoming out. But I think what we're what a piece we can get from this pillar in character creation is we haven't talked about items at all. So what's what's the memento? What's the timepiece that you have? Jet, Jet has a. It doesn't. It seems to be purely a trinket, but um, yep. Jet has a pocket watch. It's pretty big, yeah. but <laughs> has a yeah, pocket it has watch. Fifteen hours on it. Oh, oh, does it? Oh, that's cool. It go, I it didn't goes catch up to that. Fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like other things, you could you know thinking of other settings and books and so on. Um, you know, like a former detective has their father's old firearm. 
you know, th th things like that. What what does your character start with? And I think having it be informed by what the background is, I, I think is often interesting. Yeah, it gives it, and yeah, and more too, where it could be something useful. It could be something dangerous. It could be something wanted by somebody else, right? Mm. More more than just a watch that has sentimental value, which was, you know, artfully done, but mechanically uninteresting. Having an item, an heirloom. An heirloom, that's a good word for it. Yeah. I have a small concern regarding the power gaming of it all. Basically, the the matter here is there you'll never be able to stop somebody from choosing all the quote unquote optimal skills, mm -mm -mm. all the optimal backgrounds. Your heirloom is you know a bazooka. Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> it's my grandfather's bazooka. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so my question is, how do you make it so that one? Uh, it's worth picking something weird like knowledge of Martian beers or two. Uh, are you just ready to accept that everyone's going to have uh, at least one skill in guns, one skill in tech, and then the, like the last two or three will be unique? I don't think there's a guarantee that everyone will want to choose skill in guns. Um, if if we're if we're basing strictly off of the characters we have in the show, there's only two characters that are maybe Jet and D Jet, maybe and Spike. Yeah, Faye's got some good gun skill, too. Oh, does she? Right? Oh, okay. her, in her introduction is firing a machine gun at a bunch of people. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, that's, that each of these characters, all they know how to do is fight and look at a computer. But inherently, unless you're making some wild campaigns, generally you're going to need to look at a computer, and generally you're going to need to hit somebody. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the same problem with most... RPGs is that those become mm. very important stats. So either we have to accept that, you know, they'll either take guns or hand to hand or they'll, you know, they'll take some sort of hacking ability and flying too, because right. you kind of have to and just be okay with it. Or there's one of those things where you say like, yeah, everybody in everybody in 2077 or whatever year this is, is just great at tech and shooting people to respond to that. I think um, one is if if this is a game about bounty hunting we we've, we said is this a game about truckers you know <laughs> if this is a game about being a team of bounty hunters then you know we we've said you know everyone's got a different past so they bring some stuff to the table mechanically but everyone is a bounty hunter so maybe there's a core set of stats from being a bounty hunter that everyone just gets because, you know, what the, the question of what are you doing now? That, that's the what are you doing mm -hmm. now? Maybe I, I don't know exactly what this spread is going to be, but maybe it's something like choose a plus one in this, this, this menu. This is the mercenary menu. Everyone gets mm -hmm. from the mercenary menu. And so that way it'll, it will be mostly samey, samey with some small amount of deviation. But that's that's the mercenary template that you start with. An interesting thought I just had about that, that might be your ship component, right? That might be your boat it has an armory, so that's mm. why you have your plus one gun skill, right? That's why you have... Uh, that's why your piloting skill includes grenades, right? Th things like that are because your ship stats are adding to your personal stats 
Well, uh, the ship is an extension of the party, after all. It's your house, and it uh, is your friend. Uh, yeah, so we've talked about a lot of cool stuff this week about, yeah, what what do our character backgrounds mean? How do the our three pillars, right, are what's in your past, why you're doing what you're doing, and how do you move forward, right? So we, with those three pillars informing your character's motivations, uh, we talked about how those mechanically affect uh, character skills and potentially character items and how your crew works together in the future, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot to play with there. We'll have to, uh, once again, we'll have to write that all down somewhere and then playtest it. <laughs> I keep hinting at playtesting because I think we're getting close to that point. <laughs> Is there anything else you guys want to talk about the Ganymede Elegy? Mostly just that it's another beautiful world, another location that seems to be based on a place. If Mars is Chinatown and Venus is, you know, the Middle East, I I had to look it up. But Ganymede is based on France as I mean, the bard kind of gives it away, but it is supposedly based off Marseille. Yeah, just uh, again, it's this anime is real nice to look at, guys. This is actually the second episode in a row we did see Spike taking care of his Zipcraft. It's this is also the second time that they've converted a bounty on screen. That's true, right away. <laughs> so, so that's it. Seems like I, I wonder if that's on purpose. That uh, whenever they earn money, they have to show them repairing things because <laughs> that's just where the money goes. <laughs> oh, they're starting to appear competent. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Stop this. <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned next week for our first ever Bebop Tabletop Mechanical Rodeo. That was a good, good, good timing, I think. And see you all next week. Bye. Stay spooky. Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter at Bebop Tabletop. It's your house and it uh, is your friend.